0: Good morning. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 15 and 16 this morning. The book of John, chapter 14, verses 15, 16, and 17. We'll go through as well this morning. If you open your Bibles up to John chapter 14, while I ask you this question: When I say the words, the Holy Spirit, what comes to mind? It's the first thing you think of. Is it the charismatic movement? Is it speaking in tongues? Is it baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is it the leading of the Holy Spirit? What comes to mind when we first think about the Holy Spirit? We believe, as conservative evangelicals, in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We understand that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, We've already talked about that earlier this year. We've talked about the message of how the Holy Spirit is divine. I've given you some verses on that. But I think far too often, especially in conservative circles, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit nearly enough because, frankly, we're afraid of what it might lead to. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're afraid that all of a sudden somebody's going to jump up, start speaking in tongues, and run down the aisle and want to slay somebody in the Spirit, right? And, don't do that today, okay? You, you understand that there's a fear factor of talking about the Holy Spirit too much because then somebody might think, oh, you, you, you lean too much to that emotional side. You lean too much to that experiential side. And yet, at the same time, what we understand when we look at Scripture and what we understand particularly when we look at the text we're going to look at today and those that follow it is that the Holy Spirit plays an important role in the life of every believer, The Holy Spirit is what the Lord has given us upon Jesus' departure to live within us, to guide us, to direct us, to convict us, to comfort us. The Holy Spirit draws people unto salvation. The Holy Spirit has inspired the text of Scripture itself. The Holy Spirit should play an important role in our life, and yet we very rarely talk about the Holy Spirit. So today, I'm not gonna preach a message on tongues or on the miraculous gifts or things of that nature. If you're curious or interested about those things, about two years ago, going through the book of 1 Corinthians, I preached a message on that. You can go online. You can look at what I had to say about that at that particular time. If you are wondering about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, That's also mentioned in the book of 1 Corinthians. There's a message there online that you can look at for that. The short version of that, though, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit was what happened at Pentecost. There were four verses pointing forward to it, two pointing back to it. There's only one in Corinthians that's even a debatable passage. And so you can look at that message. Today, what I want to focus on is something much more practical to us in our daily Christian life. It's the leadership. It's the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to start looking at it here in John chapter 14, particularly verses 16-17. Here's the setup for the passage. John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he tells them in verse 3... And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. Now, this has obvious questions and implications for the disciples. Imagine if you had been walking with Jesus, you had been seeing Jesus doing miracles, you had been seeing Jesus do amazing things, and Jesus had been speaking into your life, and all of a sudden, Jesus starts talking about, I'm gonna leave you, I'm gonna depart, I'm gonna go away. Immediately, we would, like the disciples, say, why are you going away? Why are you leaving? Jesus, we want to go with you. Where are you going? We're going to follow you. It doesn't matter where you go. We want to go there too. And Jesus says to them, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll be back to you. And and Thomas answers him and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus responds back with the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And we understand that salvifically, but that was a mystery to them. And And they begin to talk back and forth. And you can understand that if you had the opportunity to walk alongside Jesus, who would want to lose that? And Jesus is saying to them, I'm going to leave, but don't worry. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And here we come to John chapter 14, where in verse 15 through 17, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then our focus for today in verses 16 and 17 says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I've got these verses on the screen for you with a couple of bolded words, a couple of underlined words here. As you look at this particular text and this starts five different passages that talks about the spirit, the spirit of truth, the helper, the paraclete, the paracletos, the one who comes alongside, that comforter, that advocate for us that comes alongside five different times mentioned in chapters 14 through 16 here in the book of John. And so what we see here is that we have another helper. So Jesus is leaving and someone else is coming. That other person that's coming is another person, a third person of the Trinity. We see that that other person is a helper. And it's another helper of the same kind, not another helper of a different kind. And we see that that helper is the spirit of truth, not the spirit of falsehood. And we see here words that can be confusing of that spirit dwells with you and will be in you. And we understand even from that last snippet that the Holy Spirit worked differently in the Old Testament than in the New Testament and even then in the Gospels than after Pentecost. So we read in the Old Testament about how the Holy Spirit would come upon somebody. The Holy Spirit rushed upon Samson and he did something. The Holy Spirit came upon someone and they did something. The Holy Spirit departed from Saul. And sometimes we think in our minds, how does that work? Does that mean we can lose our salvation? And the answer is no, you cannot lose your salvation. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon and then perhaps depart. In the Gospels, the Holy Spirit is often discussed about being with you and then in the or being a dwelling around you or with you, and then after. The fall of Pentecost, it talks about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us so that each one of us that has repented of our sins and put our faith in Christ has the Holy Spirit, God, the God, the power that raised Jesus from the grave, living within each one of us. He dwells in us. So, our first point here is that we have been given another helper. This other helper, the third person of the Trinity, is an advocate a legal advisor, a counselor. And John repeatedly makes this point, and in doing so, he gives us some of the roles of the Holy Spirit. So I've got some of these texts for you on the screen. In John fourteen twenty six, which follows in this same chapter, he says, but the helper, again, reminding us of what he has just mentioned in verse 16, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So we understand that the Holy Spirit teaches and the Holy Spirit reminds? You think immediately, well, wait a second, he's talking to the disciples. So yes, the Holy Spirit's gonna teach the disciples, remind the disciples of all that Jesus has said, but does that work for us? We think forward to 1 Corinthians where it talks about the Holy Spirit also teaching us and we understand that the Holy Spirit inspired all of the text of Scripture and so that as we're even reading our Bibles, it's wise for us to pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to be able to understand the words that He inspired through man to be written as God's Word so that we can understand what the text of Scripture is saying to us in our lives. The Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us. John fifteen twenty six says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And here we understand, again, the word spirit of truth. And so I'll talk more about that in our third point today, about the spirit of truth and about how to, how to test the spirits and discern the spirit. But it says that the spirit of truth will bear witness about Jesus, That's in the convicting power of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit convicts the world of their sin. It's when we share the gospel with those and they begin to fall up under that conviction of the Holy Spirit that's part of his role in drawing somebody to salvation, of convicting them that they need a Savior. It's part of the preaching process when somebody preaches the Word of God and talks about the fact that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. All of you at some point in time have experienced that conviction of the Holy Spirit upon your life to say to you, I am a sinner, I am in need of a Savior, I need to repent and call upon Jesus Christ in faith, the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus. John 16, 7 and 8, the Holy Spirit convicts, says, nevertheless, I will tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, there's an interesting statement. Jesus is telling them, it's to your advantage that I leave and that I go away from you. Now, if I'm sitting there in front of Jesus as he's saying these words, To borrow our chapel speaker's expression last week, I would say, say what? I'll send that to him later, just to let him know I made fun of him. But think about it. Jesus is there in front of us, and he says, it's to your benefit if I leave and go away. And we're sitting there thinking, no, it's not. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. You need to stay here. But we understand through the text of Scripture that when he leaves that the one person leaves so that we won't see him again then but that the Holy Spirit falls upon the believers at Pentecost and then after we repent and believe the Holy Spirit indwells each one of us. So that all across the world believers worshiping the same God have the Holy Spirit now living within them and what a great and gracious gift that is of God. It's to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away the helper, the advocate, the one who will come alongside, the one who is called alongside us to help us will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In the fifth passage, John sixteen thirteen through 15, we learn that the Holy Spirit guides. It's when the spirit of truth, again, you see that statement for the third time, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And there is a theological point made often here about the fact that the Holy Spirit's purpose and role is to glorify Jesus, to exalt Jesus, to lift Jesus up. And so that's sometimes is why you don't see people singing songs directly just about the Holy Spirit because it's the third person of the Trinity, Trinity's role is to exalt Jesus. You can take that too far, but you see that the role of the Holy Spirit here is to glorify Jesus and, and you make that point, but you also see that the Holy Spirit guides. Now, how does the Holy Spirit guide? Now, there are some people in the room right now with us that have been walking with the Lord longer than I've been alive, longer than you've been alive. And I would encourage you to take advantage of opportunities in classes as you're talking to professors in coaching situations, as you're talking to your coaches, as you're learning to to play instruments, as you're meeting with student life uh, personnel, as you're walking through this campus and you're seeing people, to ask them the question, talk to me about your Christian walk. Talk to me about what I can learn or what I need to know to be able to walk with Christ. I've been a believer for a while now and what I have learned in my time is that over time I grow more and more sensitive to how the Holy Spirit guides and how the Holy Spirit leads. And I'll come back to this again, but I wanna tell you that the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired this book, inspired the writers who wrote this book so that this book is called the very word of God and the Holy Spirit will never guide you to do something that's in contradiction to this book. Let me say that to you again. The Holy Spirit will never guide you to do something in contradiction to God's Word. So, when I was serving in a former position, I had somebody that came to see me and they sat down across the table and they said those lines that you've heard before, I married the wrong person, and then they said this, they said, God told me I need to get a divorce and go find the right person so that I'll be happy. Really. Really. That's what God told you to do. That's what the Holy Spirit told you to do is that you're supposed to leave the person, you made a covenant commitment before God in a local church before mankind to say, I will be with you till death do us part. You're now saying to me that God has told you this. And we need to be careful when we say God has told us certain things, especially when they contradict scripture. And that's where we'll get to testing the spirits at some point in time. How does the spirit guide us? I think in different people, it happens in different ways. So there is no one way. We see different filling and different guiding of the Holy Spirit. Even in the book of Acts, you see examples of where the Holy Spirit refused to let somebody go to a certain place. He forbid them from preaching in certain locations that they desired to go to. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit will close doors. It will just slam doors shut so that we can't go through certain doors. And some of you will experience that. Certain places that you want to go to school in graduate school or something, the Lord will close that door. Certain internships that you think... This this is what I really wanna do, the Lord will just close that door. And through those closings of doors, the Holy Spirit may be guiding you to the right process. And so you don't take a closing of a door as as rejection or as something that is against you personally. Sometimes we take that just as the Lord's guidance that he wants us in another direction. Often in my own life, the Lord has used scripture and the Lord has used my wife, which I'll talk about just in a minute, to help guide me, and direct me in my own personal walk with him. So just some real-life examples. This past weekend, on Saturday night, we were at the men's basketball game, and congratulations to the guys. You had a great game, did a great job on senior night winning. You can applaud for that, even though we're in the middle of the sermon. I don't mind that. And by the way, thank you all for coming out. We had an incredible crowd, 1,400 people at the basketball game this weekend. So thank you all for being there and supporting. That's pretty awesome. We were trying to get 520 by 520, and you guys blew that away a long time before that. So I'm at the basketball game. I get home. I go home, and I can't find my dog. I'm looking for my dog. My dog's in the backyard. My dog has had a stroke. It's called vestibular, old dog vestibular disease. It's where their inner ear and their brain's not connecting right. My dog's laying in the backyard, cannot move its left side. And so my wife begins to, to freak out, which is just what we do because we treat our dogs like kids, and so... I'm carrying like a 75 pound dog that's been in the mud into the house to try to get the dog cleaned up to get the dog to the vet, and so that's like a 2:30 a.m. process from start to finish since we got home from the ball game. And I'm talking to my daughter, and you guys know our other dog died last semester, and my daughter is upset and she's sitting on her bed and she's crying, and I'm saying to her, you know, as you lay down to go to sleep, just tell God about it, just talk to God. And her response to me as an 11 year old was, God already knows. I said, yeah, he does. But prayer is often us telling God things so that God can tell us things and change our own heart and our own mind. God knows. We're not telling him because he needs new information. We're telling him because this is the relationship with a living God. And she goes to bed and and I go downstairs and I begin to work on today's message, which I feel woefully unprepared to present, but ill-prepared to present. But I'm downstairs working on that at that point in time. My daughter comes down the stairs and she says, can I show you something? well, it's, it's probably 12 o'clock at this point in time. Her bedtime's 8.30. And she comes down and I said, come on, show it to me. And she brings her Bible and she said, I, I prayed and I decided to open my Bible and read it. And this is the passage that I opened my Bible to. And she shows me a passage that talks about animals and humankind out of Ecclesiastes chapter three and talks about how all die and all of this is in that chapter. And she says to me, what a coincidence that I opened my Bible to this passage after praying about what's happening with our dog. Now, you know what I said to her after that, right? She got a, a, she got a daddy version of a theological lecture on there are no such things as coincidences in life. This is the fact that the Holy Spirit in his divine providence and sovereignty allowed her to experience that God is an active and living God in life. And even an 11-year-old's dog is important to God. That's the God that we serve and you have experienced that at some point in your life. I suspect She goes upstairs She comes back down 20 minutes later and 20 minutes later. She's got tears in her eyes I don't have a clue what's going on or what's wrong And so I say come over here and let's talk and she comes back to me and she says to me You know, I was upstairs and after I read my bible and I was praying I just started singing and I started singing that song lord. I need you and she said at that moment I felt like the Lord was saying to me, now you understand what that means, but she said, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, everything's gonna be okay. And she said, I, I can't explain it. I don't, know, I don't know what it was like. This is not some out-of-body charismatic experience. Don't get that. It's just a piece. It's what we're talking about, all right? In good conservative evangelical terms, we're safe here. <laughs> and, and, she, and she expresses it to me and she, she looks at me and she says, I can't believe I ever doubted God was real. This is an 11-year-old who is expressing regret that she ever doubted God was real. Now, all of you in the room know she has not had the challenges that I have had or that you have had in life to really doubt God at an 11-year-old growing up in my protected house, right? But this was real, and she had tears streaming down her cheeks as she had experienced God making himself known to her. Now, how many of you have had some type of experience. I'm not talking about something weird or something goofy, but where the Lord used scripture or used somebody, your parent or, or somebody that you care about speaking to you, and the Lord has used that in your life. Raise your hand if the Lord has used that in your life to help guide you and direct you. Keep your hands up. Get them up there. Right? I want you to turn around and look at the auditorium. Just about every hand in the auditorium is raised. It's the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'll give you another quick, short example. So we're making the decision of whether to come to Cedarville or not. We're, we're in Fort Worth, Texas, and we loved it, and we, we loved the ministry there. And I played intramural basketball and flag football and did all kind of fun stuff and, and able to hang out with students as part of the job, and that was just a blast for me. Loved it. We lived right across from campus. I walked out my front door, walked across the street. I was at the music school, 300 more yards and I'm at my office. Great opportunity for service and ministry. And so we're in that interview process and I'm praying to the Lord in a hotel room one morning before I go to an interview and I'm praying, Lord, I need to know, I need to have a peace. I, need, I would love to have a scripture passage, Lord, that you would just grant to me so that I would know this is your will for, for our lives. I would have comfort if I'm gonna move my family and make a big life-changing decision. And I'm sitting in a hotel room And in that hotel room, I read my quiet time. I have a a structured quiet time where I go through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs every day. And I was praying, Lord, show me something in my quiet time today that that would speak to me. And he often does that. But on this particular day, I read my quiet time and and I was distracted. I was thinking about 18,000 other things and I got nothing out of my quiet time at all. You ever been there? You ever had that happen? Yeah, nada, nada. So what do I do? I do that super spiritual thing we all do sometimes, right? Where you take your Bible and you go, okay, here. And you read a verse and it makes no sense. So you flip it over and you go here and you read a verse and it makes no sense. So you flip back and you play like roulette with the Bible to try to get a verse that actually matters to you, right? That's not the right way to do it, by the way. So I'm, I'm sitting in the chair in this hotel room, flipping back and forth, trying to find passages that would speak to my heart that morning. And all of a sudden, my phone begins to vibrate on this nightstand right beside where I'm sitting in the chair. I take the phone and I flip it over. And when I flip it over, it's Joshua 1, 8, 9. It's a text that my wife has sent me with nothing more than a Bible verse. And so I call my wife after I gained my composure of what was happening. And I said to my wife, I said, why did you send me that text at that moment? And she said, well, I was going to send it the night before, but I figured you probably went to bed early so that you would be rested and prepared. And so I waited this morning and we were sitting here with the kids at the breakfast table and we were having morning devotions, reading the Bible. And I just felt like it was time to send it like the Holy Spirit might be prompting me to send that text to you at that particular moment. And she had no clue that I'm sitting in a hotel room in another city, half a country away, praying at that moment that the Lord would give a verse of confirmation in my particular life. Now, am I saying to you, You're gonna get text messages every time you pray. No, not at all. The Lord uses different ways to confirm various things in our lives. But what I'm saying to you is that the Lord uses things to confirm them in our lives. So let me give you some practical application real quick as we move on. First of all, let's stop using the words chance or luck. We use them, and we often don't know what we mean when we say them, but to a watching world who uses them in a very different context, I would say to you that theologically speaking, chance or luck... Just don't cut it. We serve a God that orchestrates our circumstances, our places, our direction, all that happens in our lives in such a way that we can speak of things as providence, we can speak of things as in God's sovereignty, we can speak of things as the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we should not speak of things as chance or luck. The Lord has no dice that he's rolling in heaven to determine what he's gonna do in the future. He already knows everything. And so let's use good words instead of words like chance or luck. Following the Holy Spirit takes practice and a relationship you don't just all of a sudden get saved and say, I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. If you want to follow the Holy Spirit, one of the things you have to know is you have to know what the Word says because if the Holy Spirit's never going to tell you to do anything contradictory to the Word of God, then knowing the Word of God helps you understand what's the Holy Spirit speaking and what may be a spirit of evil or a spirit of this world or another spirit speaking and to determine the difference between the two. And so I would encourage you, as I have been all year, get in the Word, read the Bible, meditate on Scripture, make sure that you have a relationship with God where you are praying. You are voicing your concerns to God. Not because he doesn't know, but because you need to articulate those concerns to God and listen to what God may want to impress upon you or change your thinking in. Read the Bible. Meditate on it. Memorize it. It's important. You're going to graduate from here one day, hopefully, right? That's the goal. That's the plan. In three, four, five, whatever years, And as you graduate, you're going to go off into whatever God wants you to do, wherever he has placed you to the vocational calling. You're not going to have chapel five days a week. You're not going to have professors with a biblical worldview every day pouring into your life. You are going to have a local church, but that local church may only meet once or twice a week and you need to be plugged in and involved in that local church. But you need to make sure that you have a daily, consistent, quiet time where you are understanding what God's Word says, reading the Word, applying the Word, allowing the Spirit to convict you of sin that you have a relationship. This cannot be your mom and dad's faith. This cannot be your church's faith. This cannot be Cedarville's faith. This has to be your faith. If it's not your faith, you're going to hit a roadblock at the end of your time here and you're going to wonder what happened? Where did I fall off the cliff? And if you fall off the cliff, it's because you've rejected, because you've neglected learning God's Word, being in God's Word, having a relationship with a holy divine God that loves you and cares for you. And so I can't encourage you strongly enough or often enough to be in the Word of God, reading it. Class, New Testament, Old Testament reading is for class. That is your academic life. That is not a substitute for reading the Word of God personally so that it, you look at what it's saying to you. Faculty and staff, we are never beyond the need to read and memorize the Word of God, to meditate upon it. We never arrive in this life. We still have those sinful urges. We all must read the Word of God if you get married, be prepared that the Lord will often use your spouse to guide or confirm direction. Now you say, wait a second, I'm, I'm single, I'm not getting married, don't be putting pressure on us to get married. That's not what I'm doing here. But the statistics say that most of you eventually will get married. Whenever the Lord chooses or blesses you in that way, if he does, recognize that this very often, at least in my life and in those that I've talked to, that The Lord will confirm something in my wife. There will be something I may be wrestling with. I may be thinking about it. I may be praying about it. And I may even be scared to talk to her about it. And I may say, you know, I kind of feel like, and she may respond back to me and say, I felt like this for a long time. And so be sensitive to the fact that the Holy Spirit will work through both of you. There was about uh, three weeks ago, there was an issue that I was having to deal with personally. And, Intense guy, former, you know, karate stuff, football stuff. In my pre saved days, temper, and in this particular analogy, I, 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 really wanted to go lay on hands without prayer to a particular person. I, you know, I, I really wanted to put them in a, um, a divine spiritual triangle chokehold of some sort. I can't figure out how you do that. And those are sinful desires, and I get that, and I, I'm not, I'm not making light of those or condoning those to you. But I open up my quiet time that particular morning and when I'm reading the Bible through my daily reading plan, I read the verses which talks about vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And when I read those verses, it was like a freight train hit me right in the face. Saying to me through a daily personal reading plan, this is not the right way. These are not the right thoughts. These are not the meditations of a heart that is pleasing to God or the words coming out of a mouth that are pleasing to Him. And so I encourage you, daily be in the word and let the Lord use that to speak to you. We also understand from this passage that we've been given a helper of the same kind. Now we can't make too much out of the Greek language here, but the word here of another helper is an alos helper, not a heteros helper. You understand if you are a heterosexual, you like somebody of a different kind, you like male or female, it's an opposite sex. Allos is the same kind, so we've been given another helper, but we've been given another helper of the same kind. That means that we have been given a divine helper, the third person of the Trinity. A few verses quickly just on that. Acts 5, 3 and 4 says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remains unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart, and you have not lied to man, but to God? Here in this verse, you see that lied to the Holy Spirit is equated to lied to God. You understand that that indicates the divine nature of the Holy Spirit. I've had conversations with some people at times who come from conservative evangelical backgrounds. They'll ask the question is the Holy Spirit really a third person of the Trinity, or is it just like the spirit of the other two, and we really don't need to think of it as a Trinity? It's a Trinity. You have verses like this, you have verses like matthew twenty eight nineteen where it says, there, "Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit." You have verses like 1 corinthians three sixteen Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, dwells in you? You have verses like acts twenty eight twenty five So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. And this indicates the Holy Spirit's activity of inspiring even Isaiah in the Old Testament as he was speaking as a prophet. And so we understand the nature of the Holy Spirit there as part of the Trinity. We've already discussed this. So I'm gonna move quickly to the third point, which says to us, we have been given a spirit of truth. We have been given a spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Why is it that the world cannot receive the spirit of truth? It's because they have rejected the truth of the gospel. As they reject the truth of the gospel, it makes us fools on this earth because they look at us and think that is foolishness for you to believe in those things. And yet we have the spirit of truth. We should then understand that the spirit of truth is not a spirit of falsehood and that By very defining, by defining the spirit as the spirit of truth indicates there is a spirit of falsehood, a spirit of evil, a spirit of wrong. So what do we do? 1 John 4, 1 tells us, beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we understand from this that we should test those spirits. We cannot pin the Spirit down and give you a list of all of these things must happen in order for it to be truly of the Holy Spirit. But there are some general tests that we can take to indicate the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives or the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. For example, think about a $100 bill. You ever held a $100 bill? How many of you have held a $100 bill? All right, I am prepared. I brought one today. I'm not giving it away, but I brought one today. A $100 bill. All right? All right. And I have some pictures for you on the screen. How do I know that this is a true $100 bill? Well, there's one way to know is the stripe that's right here down the middle of the $100 bill. That stripe, I have a photo for you on the screen. If you look at that stripe, it's got a holographic image of 100 all the way across it. They put that in there as a security measure so that you would know a $100 bill is a $100 bill and to make it harder for people to counterfeit a $100 bill. You can also look at the bell that's at the bottom of the $100 bill. This bell under certain light The uh, inkwell, the Liberty Bell inside the inkwell will turn a green color, and you can see it up here on the screen, that it changes color from being similar to the inkwell to having a different shade, and it also happens on the 100 that's in the right corner. I don't have a clue how they did that, but they did it so that you would know a real $100 bill from a fake $100 bill. They also have raised printing. If you were to feel the shoulder of Benjamin Franklin, you couldn't see it, but you can feel with your thumb the texture as you go across that shoulder that it is raised printing so that they can make sure it's a $100 bill. There are other things such as showing the back of the building rather than the front of the building, which would have forced them to change their plates. And and they have other measures in here that they've gone to as well. But if somebody were to tell you that's a fake $100 bill, and that's what they told you, and you said, how do you know? I just know. Well, maybe they're right, because they've handled a lot of hundred dollar bills, and maybe they are able to tell a fake hundred dollar bill, but there's some evidence that we can look at that helps us determine a real hundred dollar bill from a fake hundred dollar bill. So how is it that we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of the world? Here are four things that I want to give you that will help you discern it and discern it in this life. And these four things, some of them can be found there in that first John passage, others throughout the rest of the New Testament. First, the Spirit and the Word. I made the point before. The point arises again. That the Spirit will not contradict what He is inspired to be God's Word. So, how do we know what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do? We should check what we're sensing or what we're feeling by what the Word says, and the Holy Spirit will not tell you to do something that violates this book. The second one the Spirit in Christ. That first John passage that tells us to test the Spirit says that anything that, that says that Jesus has come in the flesh, anything that says that Jesus is Lord is of the Lord. Anything that says that Jesus is not Lord is not of the Lord. You can very quickly know that something is not of the Holy Spirit if it's not exalting Jesus. If Jesus is being put down and mankind is being exalted, then that's not of God. If Jesus is being exalted, then that may be of God, but that is a quick test that you can you can run to determine if this is really of the Spirit of God or not, is how is the Spirit exalting Christ in this particular situation or circumstance? You also look at the Spirit and your life. In the Spirit and your life, we understand that first Thessalonians five nineteen tells us don't quench the spirit. Ephesians four thirty tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. What does it mean to quench the holy Spirit it 's like you have a fire of the Holy Spirit burning in your life and you throw water on it and you quench it and you cause it to go out, and the flame then is snuffed out it 's like a firefighter putting water on a fire or on a blaze so that they quench that blaze so that it goes down in our lives it's when sin comes along and we are repeatedly involved in sin in such a way that the Holy Spirit convicts us, and we say to the holy Spirit no i 'm not going to repent of that sin." I'm not going to stop doing that sin. And we quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We grieve the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit is sad and the Holy Spirit is looking at us going, I wish you wouldn't do that. That's harmful to you. That's not good to you. I'm the spirit of truth. I am telling you to do things that are helpful to you. Don't reject what I want you to do. And in our lives, we reject and we refuse and we love our sin more than we love God. And we stay trapped in it. And then we are entangled in the sin that we have. And the spirit of truth is saying to us. Get rid of that stuff. And yet we quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. How can you understand what the Holy Spirit's telling you if you're actively living in sin, in a habitual sin? This is important for you. Especially involved in relationships. If you take those relationships too far, and you're repeatedly in a relationship going too far, how do you expect the Holy Spirit to work through that relationship to bring you both closer to God and then closer to each other as you become closer to God? If you're doing things that are taking you away from God and as it's destroying your spiritual life, how are you gonna listen to the Holy Spirit telling you this is the right one or this is the wrong one, this is an attraction or this is someone I need to be in an attachment with? How are you gonna perceive that when you're actively sinning against the Holy Spirit? Don't quench or grieve the Holy Spirit in your own life the spirit in the local church. I would say to you that as soon, I would say to you even now, but definitely after graduation, because I understand it's hard as you move back and forth from semester to semester, but even now, be plugged into a local church, serving in a local church with people who can speak into your life. The local church is the church that God died for. He established the church. The church is the bride of Christ. It's not Chapel at Cedarville. It's the church. You need a local pastor. You need members. You need people speaking into your life. You need people who are pouring into you. Ladies, you need older ladies that are pouring into you. Guys, you need mentors that you can look up to and talk to be involved in a local church. Involvement, membership, service in a local church will help you. As you stray, somebody will say, Don't go there. That's not a good thing. If you have somebody to pray for you and to support you. And so be an actively involved member in the local church. And that will help you sense the Spirit's leading in your life. What I ultimately want you to know is that the Holy Spirit is alive and active. And the power of God lives in you if you have repented and believed. Allow the Holy Spirit, as Romans talks about, to lead you and to guide you. Trust that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Know God's word so that you will know what is truly of the spirit of God and what is not. So that you will be able to live a life for God's glory and for his honor. Read the book. Build a relationship personally with God and with the Holy Spirit. Consult others and don't waste your life. My prayer for you is that this will be the generation that changes the world. This will be the generation by living out each day faithfully as men and women, as mothers, as fathers, as husbands, as wives, as workers, wherever God sends you, that you will live a life for His honor, for His glory in such a way that it will point others to Christ and that we will see the world changed, not for our sake, but because He is worthy. Is that your prayer this morning? Let's go to the Lord. Dear God, we thank you that in your grace you have sent us the Holy Spirit as a helper, as one who would come alongside us, as one who would comfort us, as one who would convict us when we need convicting. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, sensitive to the Spirit's leading in our life, Lord, that you would help us to have good patterns of reading your Word, of praying to you, Lord, of seeking your face, and Lord, help us all to grow closer to you each and every day, and help us, Lord, so that the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouth will be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our Redeemer. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you are dismissed.